Okay, so let's learn. Okay, this is like, uh, you know, usually when I give a share, so I usually list like a bunch of questions first, and then I try to answer them. At least that's the plan. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to try to go with that format as well, but when it comes to perm, like the caches are just, you know, it's unlimited, the questions, the, the strangeness of perm. Especially the year like this, especially in Eretz Yisrael, it's like in certain cities, Yerushalayim and so on, Perm is Shulish. So let's begin. So one of, the mo- one of the more stranger qualities of Purim is the fact that we don't know exactly, that it's, it's not clear to everyone when Purim is, right? We know that uh, for unwalled cities, for regular cities like New York, for example, so Purim is Yudalad Adar, right? And then there's such a phenomenon that's called Shushan Purim, right? What's Shushan Purim? So if you have a walled city like the city of Shushan, uh, so they, wait, they continued fighting against Amalek, against their enemies on the 14th, and they only rested on the 15th. So their Purim is on the 15th. So, Halei that's a very strange thing, that a Yontif should be divided into two days. You know, Pesach is Pesach for everyone, Shavuos and Roshani and Kippur. But the fact that Purim should be such an Indian that for certain cities, most cities, Yudalit, but then on Shushan, uh, cities that have walls around them should be Tezvav, that's a very, very strange thing. The truth is, it's... it's, it's, it's Within that halacha of Shushan Purim, there's an even a, 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 a more of an oddity, is that, as we know, the, what, the determining factor of, of how old uh, the walls have to be in order for them to be in the category of Shushan Purim is if they have to be Mekafis Chaima, they have to be walled cities, Mimais, Yeshua Benun, from the times of Yeshua Benun. Right? The way most Rishonim explain it, as we know, is because... We, at the time of Shushan, the time of Purim, so Yerushalayim was already Bechorban, Yerushalayim was destroyed, and therefore Yerushalayim would be left out in the cold in terms of being a walled city if we were to establish that a walled city would be from the times of, of Shushan, times of, of Purim itself. So to be Mechabed Yerushalayim, so Chazal said, okay, let's go with the age of a walled city from the times of Yeshua Benun. Right? That's what we know. Now that's, a, that's, that's very strange. First of all, okay, I mean, we want to give cover to Yerushalayim, but what exactly is the connection between honoring Yerushalayim and Shushan Perm. Like, well, why, why is it so special to give a cover to Yerushalayim in that way? And more than that, if we are picking a, a date earlier than Perm, that Yerushalayim was a functional walled city in order to honor it, I don't know if I would have picked Yerushal Benun. I would have picked David Melch. Because by the times of Yeshua Benun, even, even by the death of Yeshua Benun, when Eretz Yisrael was conquered by Yeshua, Yerushalayim was not. Yerushalayim was not under the, the, the possession and the control of Yidin until the times of David HaMelech. And so if you're picking a time to go back pre-Purim, right, to pick a day where, okay, this, this is going to be the demarcation point, what's considered a walled city, to give cover to Yerushalayim, because at that point Yerushalayim was a walled city, why pick a time when Yidin were not in control of Yerushalayim? You pick David HaMelech. So what is this Indian that, this concept of Shushan Purim, and second of all, that Shushan Perm is trying to give cover to Yerushalayim, but specifically focused on when Yerushalayim was in the times of Yeshua Benun. Okay, needs explanation. Another thing that's very strange with Perm is uh, halacha, one of the halachas of Perm, the Sudas Perm of Chai Vinish Lubusum Vipurya, right? Adlayada, that you drink until the Gemara says, you drink until you don't know the difference between Blessed Haman, uh, there you go, I did it, between Aram Baruch Mordechai, right? Between uh, uh, Cursed is Haman or Blessed is Mordechai. So what exactly does that mean? What exactly does that mean? So basically, I mean, as we know, there's basically two camps, two, uh, two, uh, two ways of, of, of interpreting that Gemara. There are those that learn the Gemara, Kipshutai, Kipshutai, that there's an obligation to drink until you don't know uh, between Haram and Baruch Mordechai, until you don't know the difference between Haram and Mordechai. What does that mean? So the way that's fulfilled, according to most, is not mamish by drinking until you're mamish uh, at that point, like light. But it means that you drink, like the Shulchan, the Ramah actually recommends this, you drink, and you get a little bit tired, you take a nap, and when you're asleep, you don't know the difference between Haman and Mordechai. So, so that way is bimakayim the Gemara Kibshuta, that we, you want to get to a place of mamish no das at all. You don't know the difference between Haman and Mordechai, maybe not mamish by drinking to such an extent, but at least drinking and getting a little drowsy and taking a nap, and you don't know. But it's, it's, to fulfill, it's mamish Kibshuta, not to know. Mitzat Sheni, you have other Rishayinim, that say, no, 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 it doesn't mean, the Gemara is a, it's a guzma, it's an exaggeration, it doesn't mean that. It means just drink more than you're accustomed to, that's all. That's all. <clears throat> and there's different hagim, there's different hagim. So some yidin taka drink until 
they, they, and they take a nap and so on to get to the point of mamashad Yada. And some, some Yidin don't do that. They just drink a little bit more than they're used to. If maybe it's a cup or two, the more than they're used to. And that's how they Yadzeh. So you have these two different schools of how to think of Ad Yada. And so the question is in Pneumius, where are they coming from? We know that in, in Halacha, whenever you have the situation of, of Tushita, so again, it's either, it's either this is, or it's either that. But in Pneumius, we know it's all true. So where is this coming from exactly? These two schools of Ad Yada. The truth is, Bechlav, you think about it, I don't know, if I were Chazal and I'm coming up with a way of, of celebrating Purim, I don't know if I would say Ad Yada. Purim makes sense. I mean, the story of Purim makes a lot of sense. Nothing was supernatural, nothing was illogical. Every step along the way made perfect sense in terms of cause and effect. So what exactly is the Ad Yada of Purim? I mean, Mechera, if you want to say that Pesach maybe is Ad Yada, right? Because it's Kriyas Yamsuf and, and the Makis, crazy things. What crazy about Purim exactly? It's Ad Yada. Okay. Needs explanation. Another thing that's strange about Purim that needs explanation is the minig that we know of dressing up of costumes, right? You know, it's an old, old minig to dress up in, in costume. What exactly is that about? What exactly is that about? The truth is, within that minig of dressing up, the Shulchan Aruch, the, Ram, the Ramah, I should say, brings down the following idea. He says that there were those that had a minig, or, or in, in, this, in the context of this minig of dressing up, they were lenient, they, they had a thing that the men would dress up as women. And the Ramah talks about whether that's permitted or not. Because we know that Leisilbash is usually an Isser for a man to dress up to wear women's clothing, and vice versa. So the Ramah says that, the way the Ramah says it is that the Minig is to be lenient, to allow such a thing. Because everyone knows on Purim you're not doing it to trick anyone really, you're just doing it for Simcha. It's obvious that you're a guy, you're just dressing up as a woman for Simcha. So the Ramah says it's okay. Later Achroinim, the Mishnah brings down, later Achroinim were still against it. There are exceptions. Let's say if, if, you're, if you're basically dressing as a man, you just wear one article of clothing that's, that's feminine, so then the achreinim are, are okay with that. But you see that there was this, uh, this inyan. There was this, you know, within this minig of, of getting dressed up, clearly there was like this push. There was this inyan of a man dressing, wearing something of a woman's clothing. And the question was, was that allowed? How much? And so on and so forth. So what, what's Bechlal Vesini of dressing up? And specifically, why was there this, you know, this specific subgroup of minig for a man to wear you know, articles of clothing that would, that, that would be feminine? So, and again, the question is whether it's allowed or not. Lemais, it's, again, Halei it's a strange thing. <clears throat> okay, another strange thing about the Megillah itself. Again, these are all well-known questions. Just <clears throat> Another strange thing is that the Megillah, so we know that the Megillah ends with a very... Um, you know, underwhelming, you know, ending, right? So, you know, it all works out. Baruch Hashem, Haman's killed, his ten sons, and right? And then in the last paragraph, the last paragraph is what? That Achashverosh levied taxes on his population. And if you want to know, you know, you should just know that the story of Mordechai Nestor is also recorded in their history books. Like, so it's a very, that's a flat ending, right? And so the Gemara already, has already made a point of this, that the, med, that the Pasuk is really trying to stress the fact that despite all the unbelievable uh, Yeshuas that we experience on Purim, Akati we're still, we're still slaves of Achashverosh, we're still in Galas. So much so the Gemara says, that's one of the reasons why we don't say Hal on Purim, Akati So the question is, okay, that's, that's a valid point. It is good to know that we're still Avadim of Achashverosh. It is a historical fact, and it's important to know that we don't say Hal because of that. But that's how you end the Megillah. That's how the Megillah ends. Like, the Chal- and all the Taikif, all the unbelievable Yeshua's that the Rebbe was piled, it's recorded in their history books because really it's just part of their history. Akati that. You, you, you want to like sort of like hint to it on the side, whatever it is, but like that's how the Megillah ends. It's almost as if, part, this is what we have to be Mazber, it's not a simple thing, but it's almost as if part of the celebration of Perm is the fact that it wasn't a complete Gula. It's almost as if that's what the Megillah is trying to hint to, is that not only was Purim so unbelievable that we survived Haman, and not just survived, but, Haman, but Mordechai took over his property, and even Hapichu, and we destroyed our enemies, but you should know, even more than that, Mashiach didn't come. <laughs> that's a strange thing. So, Halei Dover, again, we, we need to explain that as well. Bechla, the whole... The, the whole celebration of Purim, the truth is, in, in a certain sense, according to Chazal, in sort of more of a historical perspective, we know that the celebration of Purim was not just the fact that we survived Haman and so on, that, you know, in, 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 a, 
in sort of a, a bubble by itself. In a larger historical context, this was about allowing Kla Yisrael to get the second base of Migdash, right? Because we know that, for example, Haman and his ten sons, the first anti-Semitic thing that they did, at least historically, was to stop the building of the second base of Migdash, which, which started before Achashverosh already. Haman and his ten sons, you know, started, uh, you know, making issues with that and stopped the building. And every time Esther Malka comes to make a request of Achashverosh, and he says, until half the kingdom, half the kingdom, what does that mean? It means I'll give you everything except permission to rebuild the second base of Migdash. And the fact that Esther becomes queen, right, and thwarts Haman's plan, and eventually has a son with Achashverosh Daryavesh, and Daryavesh, who's Jewish, gives permission to rebuild the second base of Migdash, that's really the, 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 the story of Purim, of, of, of Purim is really in the context of allowing the second base of Migdash to be rebuilt, which means that when we're celebrating Purim, part of what we're celebrating is the fact that we have the second base of Migdash. Now, this is a strange thing, too, because the second base of Migdash was not it. It was not it. When the second base of Migdash was actually built, so the Psukim tell us that the, half of Klai Yisrael were mourning, because the second Beis was rebuilt, and the young people that never saw the first, they're all, they're all excited, it's Beis HaMikdash. And then the elders that remember the first Beis HaMikdash, and are now comparing in their, in their memory what this is compared to what they remember in the first, it was like the shell of itself. And, there are more, and the, the Pasuk in fact says that the crying of the elders during the times of the, of the building of the second Beis HaMikdash overwhelmed the joy and the singing of the, young, of the youngsters. So you're talking about... So the, so in a certain sense, the entire Yontav of Purim, which is a, the happiest day of the year, is celebrating events that eventually would lead in the culmination of rebuilding the second base of Migdash, which was itself not exactly the most amazing thing in the world. That was the, it, it, the second base of Migdash was built with the understanding that this is not it. So what are we celebrating exactly? It's a strange thing. All this needs explanation. Okay, one final thing to explain, and then we'll... Well, to, 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 I guess to ask, and then we'll, we'll begin to explain, is like this. When exactly, in, in, in an average year, this year is a little bit funny, as I'll mention, but on an average year, when should the Suda be? You know, we have the Suda's Purim. When exactly is the best time for the Suda to happen? So it's like this. In, um, technically speaking, Al-Pi Halacha, uh, as long as you're, you're having a Suda on Purim, you're being Yaitse. There's no, you know, as long as it's within Purim, you're being Yaitse. If you want to continue the Suda after Purim, it's also fine. There's nothing, as long as you're eating a Suda, and at least a significant part of the Suda is on Purim, you're 100% Yaitse. But here's, here's the Nakuda. Beyond Halacha, when is the best time, let's say, Api Kabbalah and so on, to have the Suda? So it's, it's very interesting. There are Shash or Shom Shiravi, so one of the great Mekubalim by the Sardim, he's considered to be sort of the, uh, you know, you could say that like the second coming of the Ariyah Kaddish. What the Rashash did was basically take everything from the Rizal and just explain it and, and give it context. So the Rashash explains like this. He says that the prime time, the best time to make the Suda is as close to Shachris as possible. So per morning you go to Shul, Shachris, you hear the Megillah and so on. The Rashash says, and immediately, as soon as possible, immediately you go have a Suda. Now why is that? So this is interesting. The Rashash doesn't explain. The Rashash says... The following Lashen, something, I'm not, not quoting verbatim, but the Rashash says that, the, that you should have the Suda as close to Shachras as possible, mitamim hayiduimli, for reasons that are known to me. And he ends off, and it's ki'ilu kach kibalti. It's almost as if I was makabal such a thing, menashemayim, that the Suda's perm should be in, in close proximity to, to, to Shachras. Okay, that needs explanation. So he, he, he's, not, he's clearly going out of his way not to explain why this is, but as Ezekiel Rashash. Now, uh, what's interesting is, is that the Minig Ha'ilam, um, and the Minig certainly by the Baal Shem Tov, was not like that at all. The Minig was, the, the Iker Suda's perm with the drinking and the whole, the whole, the real Suda was not in close proximity to Shachras. If anything, it's all the way at the end of the day. And maybe even the bulk of the Suda is actually Matzi Purim, right? Flowing into Shushan Purim or or if you're on Shushan Purim, flowing into Matzi Purim. Now, it's recommended, just, just Agav, it is recommended by the Paiskim on an average year, that those that have such a minute, which I think is probably most of us, to have the Iker Suda more late in the day, and there are simple reasons given for that. First of all, you have to take care of Shachmanis, Matanis of Yainim, and, you know, so it's just more practical, I guess, to have the Suda later in the day. <clears throat> but the, the Paiskim do recommend that, therefore, that nevertheless, a person should, after Shachras, wash, have a Shtikl Suda, so you have sort of like two sudas. You have a little sud in the morning, you know, like what the Rashash would want, and your Iker sud is going to be later in the day. So 
so there is this this debate against this. Is what we need to, need to explain. The Rashash is telling us that Pikabola and so on. The Iker Indian is to have the Suda close to Shachris. First of all, we need to explain why. And second of all, the Minig by the Balshanta for sure was not like that. To have the Iker Suda more later in the day. So why the difference? Why the difference? Now in a year like this, it's interesting. In a year like this, maybe it's uh, the Rebbeinu wants us to make shalom between those two worlds of the Rashash and the Balshamtiv. A year like this, where Purim is on Friday, so even though even though let's say most of us on a normal Purim would have our suda later in the day, right? Maybe the bulk of it, you know, later in the afternoon and so on. But because this year it is Friday. So you always have to take Shabbos into consideration, right? You have covet Shabbos, you don't want to go into Shabbos like completely full and so on. And the halach is you're not really supposed to start a suda so late. So what's really recommended is a year like this for everyone to start the suda early. And then you could be mamshich. You could be, you know, an imshach uh, by the chesid and the minigis to start early and then you go. You know, you, you know you're, you're eating throughout the day and you continue on until, uh, until Shabbos and you, you daven and then you continue the meal. So a year like this... Bahashkocha, it's sort of a, a unifying year where the minigid, where the halacha sort of says to do it as early, like the Rashash would say usually, but then, you know, then continue on. So we have to figure out what exactly is the Avaida of, of this particular Purim, of, of what's the Hashkocha Pratis in that, that we have an opportunity to sort of bring these two together, to have the Suda early and late at the same, in the same year. Okay, these are the things we have to figure out. <clears throat> okay, so let me share with you an idea of what we're going to learn tonight for a few minutes. I'm going to try to keep it. Uh, I'm going to try to keep it simple. <coughs> Do the best I can. Is uh, we're going to learn a Torah from the Sadi Shar, okay? Rav Gershon from the Radzina. Now, the, 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 this piece from the Radzina in Purim on Purim, it's it, it, the Yisaitis of what the of what Gershon is talking about are concepts that I've mentioned uh, a number of times before, but they're mamish ikari imuna. They're mamish basics and, and essential concepts in Yiddishkeit. It's just, you know, the Svarim that talk about it the most are from Nishbitz, but, it, but Lamais, it's, it's, it's very, very fundamental ideas. The Sayyid Sharm brings down the following statement from the Arizal. The Arizal said that when you're talking about, you know, before we get to this, there's another question that the Sayyid Sharm brings, and this is an interesting question. We know that Purim, you know, it's, it's quoted from the Zara Kaddish that Yom HaKippurim, right? Yom Kippur. Yom HaKippurim is Yom Kippur is, is, is Yom Kippurim, right? That on some level, Purim is Mamish, the most exalted, highest day of the year Mamish. It's brought down in this farm that Purim is so high. Purim is Mamish, Mamish Abachin of Lasad Lave. Mamish Lasad Lave. Mamish Abachin of Yom Mashiach now. You know, uh, uh, the Maral, for example, in his Sefer Archadash, in, in the introduction, the Sefer Archadash is a Sefer that he wrote exclusively about Purim. So in his introduction to that, he writes unbelievable things about Purim. He says that Purim is coming from a Makam Nelam, Ve'elyon, from an exalted, mysterious place. It's called Megillus Esther because Esther means concealed, as Mamish coming from a high place. The Indian of Purim is Mamish Ha'ara from Mashiach Tzikain. It's Mamish Mashiach, it's Mamish Guladik. It's higher than Yom Kippur itself. So the question of Mefar asks, the Sadi Sharm asks this amongst others, is that if it's true, which we accept, that Purim is mamish unbelievable, it's coming from Lasid Lavai, it's coming from Mashiach, it's, 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 it's mamish gula. It's, it's a yantif that's celebrating the Chiyas Amalek, which is mamish, that's, that's, that's Mashiach. So the question is, so why did Mashiach come? So, so, so why, didn't it, why wasn't it a gula shleima? Why wasn't it a Gula Shlema? Like I mentioned, the Megillah seems to like stress the fact that it wasn't a Gula Shlema, almost as if that's part of the celebration, which we need to explain. But, but, but Taka, why not? Why wasn't it a Gula Shlema? Why not? If, if, if Purim is Taka, an emanation from Mashiach, if it is, if it is a Gula, it's a Gula in the way of Mechias HaMolik, which is what Mashiach is about. That's the type, the type of Gula that Mashiach is, is a Gula that comes with the destruction of Amalek. So that's what Purim is. So why wasn't it complete? Why wasn't it complete? <clears throat> okay, so the Sadi Sharm explains as follows. He says, and he quotes from the, from the Rizal, that Purim is true. Purim is a piece of that gula that's called Mashiach. But it's only half of that gula. <clears throat> that gula that's called Mashiach that we're waiting for has two parts to it. There's something that, I'll, I'll tell you the terms and then I'll explain. That the Geula Hashlema has two parts. One part is called Geula Misitra Denukva, a redemption that's from the feminine side. There's a feminine side of that Geula. And then there's Geula Misitra Dedchur, then there's the masculine side of that Geula. 
Purim is what? Purim is a Bechina of Yemaisa Mashiach that we experienced at that time and we still experience now. But what was it? It was only half of what the Gula is going to be. It was a Gula Misidja Dinukva from the feminine side. And that's why in the story of Purim, Esther Hamalka is a major, is a, is, she's the heroine. Right? Everything that happens in the story of Purim, our Gula comes in the uh, Biad Nekeva through, a, through, a, through an Isha. It's called Megillus Esther for that reason. Because the whole site of Purim is what? It is a Bechina of, of the Gula of Mashiach, but it's only Misidja Dinukva. It's the feminine side of that Gula, not the masculine side. What's missing is the masculine side, and that when Mashiach Tzikenu comes, It'll be, it'll be full. Mashiach Tzikenu will be the, the culmination and the completion of what started with Purim. Purim is half of the side, one side of the coin, and Mashiach will be the other half. What exactly does that mean? Okay. So this is something that I've mentioned, I, I mentioned before, but it's a, it's a very, very important insight. Let me give the following mashal. I think I've mentioned this maybe on a Shabbos. I, I, I talked about this once a while back. Let's say the following situation happens, like, you know, it would be nice if it does. Someone comes over to you randomly and says, you know what, you know they had those, I, I don't know if they still do this anymore, you know those like, remember when I was, when I was younger, they had those like, the, those commercials for, for uh, I don't know, whatever it is, like you, you send in your social security number, you know what I'm saying, and eventually maybe you'll win a prize of the guy that shows up with like huge, comically huge check for whatever, I don't know, the, Clearing, publishers well, clearing house, right? They still, so, no, they still around. Okay, fine. So let's say you you know you wake up in the morning, you get the knock on the door. What was the guy's name? You remember the guy's? No, I'm, I'm, whatever. Is, whatever. It doesn't matter. So you get a knock on the door, and the guy's there with this, you know, goofy check for you know hundred million dollars. Changes your life, right? It's unbelievable. Okay, <clears throat> that's scenario number one. Okay, scenario number two, and and in that scenario, your mom is like you were asleep. You were lazy, you're in your pajamas and, you know, knocking the door. Okay, $100 million. Next scenario. Next scenario is you wake up in the morning, you're not in your pajamas. You get up, you get dressed, you go out. And on your way to work, you happen to pass by 7-Eleven, whatever it is. You go in and you buy a lottery ticket. How much for money? A dollar. A dollar for a lottery ticket. And what happens? No, the rest of the day, you look at the numbers, you won $100 million. So both scenarios, you won $100 million. Which $100 million would you feel more of his kashras with? Which hundred million dollars do you feel is more yours? So this is what's interesting. It was without a question that the average person would feel much more of his kashras with scenario number two, where you paid a dollar for a lottery ticket, than scenario number one, where you're just in your pajamas and the guy shows up with a check. I, now, if you think about it, logically, it doesn't make much sense, right? Logically, the, the, second, the only difference between the two scenarios is a dollar. So if you want to tell me that I, that I feel more connected to a, to, to a dollar of the second scenario, fine, mask him. But the Metzius is not like that. The Metzius says that a person feels more of his kashras to the entirety of the $100 million that you bought with one lottery ticket, as opposed to $100 million that it just was a free gift. <clears throat> what does that mean? What does that tell you? It tells you like this. The Rabbani Shleilam, you know, the Gemara says in Ksubis, that, that, uh, the, that the Jewish people, when we went into Gaulus, we took an oath, right? We took a shvua, Kalaisol took an oath that we're not going to push Mashiach, we're not going to force uh, Mashiach's hand, we're not going to fight against Umas Oilam and, uh, and uh, Yala B'chaimah, we're not going to force Gula to happen. Rashi, in fact, brings down that one of the oaths that we took was not just that we're not going to politically force redemption, we're not even going to daven too hard for Mashiach to come. So what exactly does that mean? The Gimel Shavu is such an oath that the Jewish people took. Like, what, what exactly does that mean? So in Ishbitza Radzin, it's taught the following idea. That the truth is, the truth is, at any point in Jewish history, the Tzadik Emes would, if they wanted to, they could have brought Mashiach. They could have brought Mashiach. They could have had enough mitzvahs. They could have davened hard enough. They could have brought the Gula. But what? But here's the Nakuda. The Jewish people, the tzaddikim emes, have decided, and this is what it means, those three oaths. The tzaddikim have decided that if we were to bring Mashiach completely on our own, completely on our own tzchus and our own merit, then what? Then of course we would have a redemption. But the redemption would be mugbal, it would be, it would be defined, and it would be, it would be, uh, uh, it would be, uh, uh, it, would, it would fit within the misgeris of our ability to, to have a shtadlis. It would fit exclusively according to how much effort and how much 
uh, mitzvahs we've put in, to that extent we would experience a geula. Let me share with you just the line of how the, the Sayyid Yisharim writes this. He says like this, if Mashiach were to come, if the Gula were to come exclusively through our efforts, we do schusim, we daven, we do mitzvahs, we do tshuva, and so on, and with that, we bring a Gula. Then said the Red Ziner, then what happens when the Gula? Gula comes, then all of a sudden the lights go on, and the Rabbanishim was revealed, the Yad Hashem is revealed in everything, Adam, Olvad, it's unbelievable, it's a whole new universe, right? Before Mashiach, it's a universe of Mikra, of Teva, of, uh, of, uh, of things of this world, of, of, of things that, that, you know, that, are, that, are, that, are, that are finite. All of a sudden, Mashiach comes, the lights go on, things are unbelievable, the world is much bigger, we're bigger, everything's gewaldic. But if, if such a gula were to happen, from our efforts, then even when the lights go on, the only, the only answers we would receive are, are answers to questions we asked. You understand? It would, be, it would be a level of giloi. The redemption we would have is a redemption that fits exactly with how much we put in. So we put in a dollar, you would feel a hiskashus to one dollar. <clears throat> but adayin kamadvarn behelm behester, but such a redemption, such a redemption, which would be exclusively, exclusively based on how much pu'ula, how much effort, how much ishtavas we put in, then there would be many different layers and, and, and there would be so many more layers to reality that the lights would still be off. It means there's only a certain amount of hasaga, there is, there's a certain amount of understanding. You know, give an example, you know. Let's say, you know, you have Sarm on the shelf, right? So we've, we've all heard of like Shishi Sidri Mishnah, right? Okay, so even if, let's say you have someone that doesn't know Taharas. Okay, but he's heard of Taharas. He's heard of Taharas. Fine. So now if he, if, he asked, uh, if he asked his Rebbe or something, Rebbe, teach me Shishi Sidri Mishnah. Okay, so Rebbe will answer, fine, I'll teach you Shishi Mishnah. And I'll teach him Mishnah, including Taharis. And now he knows Taharis. But, 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 but this guy, the only, he, he, he could have asked his Rebbe, teach me Shishi Sidri Mishnah, teach me Yushalmi, teach me Kisviari, teach me, 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 uh, me Zarakadish, uh, teach me every. The guy, the guy didn't, he never heard of all those things. So he doesn't, even, he doesn't even know that he doesn't know that. He doesn't even know that. So he never even asked. So those things remain hidden to him. There is such a phenomenon that a person, that a person receives answers only to the questions that he knows to ask of. So there are certain things in life that, are, that we, we perceive as, as kashas. We perceive as sasarponim, things that we don't, that we don't understand. Yeah, when you think of gullus and we think of things that we want Mashiach to come to give us, a, to give us clarity about, like... Questions that are bothering us. What's bothering us? Yeah, the Holocaust, you know, or a person, Lolinu, a, a good person that, that's suffering, or a, ne- a bad person that's, that has a tzlacha. These are the questions that we, that we sense Hester Panim in, and we want Mashiach to come to give us clarity, to turn the lights, and those things will become unbelievably clear and unbelievably awesome, and, and, and it'll be obvious. Enamel, Vadir, Banishlam, was Mamish running the show. It's unbelievable. But there are so many more things that we don't even know to ask. When we think of the questions that we want Mashiach to answer, I don't think most of us are probably thinking of like, why do we have two kidneys? We're not thinking that. We're thinking Holocaust and pogroms. Or why, why is it so hard for me to find a shidduch or to have parnasa? Those are the kashas. And certainly those are kashas that need answers, and Mashiach will answer them. But we don't even know what... The, but, 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 but we're so limited. We're so limited with what, we even, what, what we're even asking for. We have no hasaga of what there's, of, 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 of beyond possibilities of, of, of understanding the Rabbani Shalom that we don't even know to ask. So I know that there's such a thing as Shishi Sidri Mishnah, and I know that I don't know that. Okay, so I'm going to ask my Rebbe to teach me that. But I don't know that there's such a thing as, uh, as Kisviari. I don't know there's such a thing as Maisim Rekava. So I don't even know to ask that. So says the Ishbitzer, if Mashiach were to have come, in any previous generation, and it could have, the tzaddikim could have brought Mashiach with their ma'isim, with their mitzvahs. Then what? Then Mashiach would have been an answer to those specific questions that the Kala Yisrael have been asking. We, there would have been a revelation of Eidam al-Vadai for those areas that the Jewish person and the Jewish people have been struggling with to find their Rabbani Shalom there. But the truth is, but our very, our very search for God is limited. We don't even know how vast the Rabbani Shalom's presence is to even know where to look even. 
We're only looking in the places that, we could, that, we, that we're possibly thinking that are limited with our human perception. That those are places that we would think God is and we don't find Him there. Please, Rabbanu Shalom, reveal yourself. But, but, our, but, but our, our search is very tiny. Our search is very small. We're human beings. We, even know, we don't even know B'chlal what we don't know. Therefore comes the Gimel Shavuos. Those three oaths that the Jewish people took upon themselves when we went into Gullahs was the following decision. The decision was that we are not going to settle for a redemption on our terms. We are not going to settle to receive a geula, which is just answering the questions that we're thinking of. We want a geula mitzidai. We want a redemption from the Rabbani Shalom side of things. We want him to reveal who he is to answer questions that, we, we, that we're not even thinking of. It could be that there's that, that, that so much Yad Hashem, the Rabbani Shalom's presence is so unbelievably profound that we're not even thinking, again, like I said, if you're thinking about what Mashiach should come to reveal to you, the probably we're not thinking about, you know, what's up Shah with that uh, meteorite that's traveling 100 million light years away from you that we're not, we don't even know about. But there, there's so much, you know, there's so much uh, God's presence that's, that's pulsating even from that meteorite. And so Mashiach has to be this was the decision that the Jewish people made, which is that we are not going to settle for a redemption that's being generated from our pu'ulas. We are going to only wait, and we're going to have the patience, to wait for a ge'ula that's coming from the Rabbani Shlalem's side. <clears throat> These two ways of ge'ula happening, a ge'ula that is mitzideinu, from our side, that, are, that is a response to the questions we ask, a response to an explanation for the hishtadlis that we put in in life. The Rabbani Shalom, show me why my effort is meaningful. Show me the depth of what, of, of the, of the, of the, show me the profundity and the, and the infinity that's contained in my finite actions. That's called the gula misijah denukfa, that's called a feminine gula. Gula misijah denukfa, a masculine gula, means, that means the Rabbani Shalom from his side is just revealing truth way beyond anything we could possibly have ever imagined there being a kasha for. <clears throat> the ultimate geula is a combination of two. Because again, let's explain. If the geula happens, misidja denukva exclusively from the feminine side, then what? That means that now we have an answer to every kasha we had, it's gewaldic, but we don't even know what, we, what, what could have been opened to us. So certain doors are being opened and we're experiencing the answers to everything we've ever asked. Mashiach will come, it'll, it'll explain why every mice, every action that you did, every effort that you put into business, every hishtadlis that you put into become a better yid, how deep it was, how unbelievably profound it was, how, how, how part of a mahalach to, to, to bring you closer to Hashem, how deeply attached it was in the path of becoming uh, a tzaddik. And Mashiach will show that. And that's unbelievably great because it makes you connected. It answers your kashas. But it's limited because you don't even know the rest of the story, Bechlal. You don't even know what, what, you're, what you're asking for. You don't even know. But then it's not Shani. If all there is is a gula from the Rabbani Shalom side, then that's unbelievably overwhelming, but I don't feel a connection to it because I'm not asking those questions. The side of gula is what? Is both together. The Rabbani Shalom telling us Un- giving us a hundred million dollars, think a, a level of uh, a level of reality, a level of truth, a level of revelation that we ourselves are not even thinking of. The guy wakes up in the morning, both scenarios, right? The guy in his pajamas or the guy that buys a lottery ticket. In either case, he, he's not thinking a hundred million dollars. That's not what he's thinking. It's bechlal beyond his asagas. <coughs> so, misitra, so the, what we want is a gula that the rabbanu shalom is showering us with a hundred million dollars, but yet we did enough hishtablis in oilam haza. Enough, we asked enough questions to at least give us the right to feel a connection to the entirety of the $100 million. I'll, I'll give you a marshal. Let's say you have a person that, that's making a meal, right? And so, uh, let's say you, you're a guest at someone's house and their mom is throwing, throwing you, a whole, you a whole huge party. So it's very, very nice. But if you have a yad, if you put in any effort, like let, let's say you know, uh, you're a guest at someone's home and they're, you know, it's, uh, you know they're, they're, they're going all out for you. So fine, it's just a little bit uncomfortable, you know what I'm saying? Like you're sitting there and they're just bringing you food after food and dish after dish and like, you know, you know showering you with, with compliments and attention and all that. It's like a little bit... But let's say before the meal started, you, you put an effort to be mishtatif to set the table. 
the, the waiters and the, the family people, they were setting the table, but you, 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 you helped, you brought the plates in. So all of a sudden, that means that by you putting that little effort in, by setting up the plates, you feel hiskashrus to everything that's going to be served at the meal. You understand? And then everything that's going to be served, you feel, okay, it's coming to me a little bit. I have a connection to it. The sight of Gula is, the Rabbani Shalom puts us through life and puts us through questions and puts us through tsars and puts us through difficulties. For what? In order that we should ask enough questions in life that when eventually the answers to those questions and then some comes to us, we'll feel a connection to all of it. This is, the, this is what the Gula means, that you put in a dollar and then all of a sudden, that's your misijudanukfa, that's the feminine gula that you put in a dollar. And therefore, in a certain sense, all you should get back is a dollar's worth of answers. But the, 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 the brach of the Rabbani Shalom, the, the kindness of the Rabbani Shalom is that he sets up the system in such a way where a zachar and a keva become one. Which means that you put in your kashas, you put in your ishtadlas, and the Rabbani Shalom answers those keflaim l'sishia, plus even more. This is the site of why when the, when the gula is described as nachamu, nachamu ami, right? Be comforted, be comforted, a double comfort. Why double? The site of that double comfort is that the first nechama that Mashiach will come, will bring is what? Is an answer to the questions that you're asking. So you're asking why, why, was I, why did I get a headache? And why am I having a difficulty in this area? And why, why is it so hard for me to overcome this Yetzirah? These are the kashas. And the Rabbanu Shalom Mashiach is going to come, oh, you're asking good kashas, you put in effort, you, put in, you, you paid a dollar, I'm going to give you the answer, nachem. But then the Rabbanu Shalom says, but you know what, Mashiach is, is beyond that, Mashiach is also Mashiach de Tchura. Mashiach is also masculine, which means nachem again, I'm going to give you even more. But because you were asking, because you had the patience to go through life and to put in your effort, to put in that dollar to give to buy the lottery ticket, it means that everything that's coming to you, you feel that has kashas. <clears throat> so let's go back. So what is Purim? Purim is, as the Rizal said, it's Geula Misidja Dunukfa. What is the unbelievable, Purim is taka unbelievable, Purim is a taste of lust and loving. Purim is a, is a, is a, is a, is a, is a yantif, which what happened? Where everything that was, that seemed teva, everything that seemed nature, everything that seemed just ordinary, was revealed to be what? Extraordinary. There was an unbelievable giloy of Einar Movadai, of that there is nothing but the Rabbanu Shalom, that the Rabbanu Shalom was controlling the heart of Achashverosh, and, and even Haman himself, and, 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 and Purim reveals that the Rabbanu Shalom was controlling even the decisions of Mordechai and Esther. The Rabbanu Shalom was controlling even the decisions of Klai Yisrael to go to the Suda. Everything was Mamash Biyad Hashem. But think about this. But the, only, but the, the revelation of Einar Movadai of Purim were only for those things that we associate with the story of Purim. What was not revealed in Purim is Einar Movadai in how a particular year when he's walking down the street and he kicks a rock. How was how that Einar Movadai? That, no one's asking that question. So no one's asking that question. There's no answer to it yet. Purim, there's a number of questions. How could it be that Kalei by the Suda? How could it be that there's a threat of Haman? These are the questions that the Jewish people are asking. And Purim comes and answers those questions. It's the first Nachim. It's, it's Gul Misidja Danukfa. But therefore, therefore, part of what we're celebrating on Purim is the fact that it was not a complete gula. You understand? Because part of what we're celebrating on Purim is, is that, that Mashiach is going to be much bigger than just the questions that we could possibly imagine having answered. So the, the celebration of Purim is twofold. The celebration of Purim is, wow, unbelievable. I never, I, now I have the answer of why Kalyusa went to the Suda. You know why we went to the Suda? Because if you didn't go to the Suda, then uh, the whole, uh, whole mahalach wouldn't have happened. The whole story wouldn't have happened, and we wouldn't have had Esther, and we wouldn't have had the Hapal of Haman, the whole Maisa. So we needed all of that. But, and that was the Gil of Eina Movadeh, that's Kevaldik. That's Kevaldik. But, but if that would have been the full Gula, then that would have been exclusively a Gula, Mesidja Danukva. Part of the celebration of Perm is that the Rabbanu Shalom, that, you, that it's celebrating our commitment and our resolve to wait and to be patient until the full gula happens. And it's our, and it's our amuna that the Rabbanu Shalom has answers to questions that we ourselves are not even asking. That's what's going on with Purim. This is the site of Shushan Purim. See, Shushan Purim is, is the 15th day, right? So the, the, the Red Zinar talks about this. He says that 15 is the Gemashi Yudke, right? Yudke. Yudke Vavke, in the name of Hashem, Yudke always means that which is completely beyond. Vavke, the lower part of the name, it's Rosh Hashemayim, 
The heavens are happy. It's heavenly. Vesogel arts and the earth is happy. Vovke means what? Vovke means a geula. That is what? Is an answer to questions that we're asking. So it's a revelation of the Rabbani Shalom fearing the veld in terms of areas that we are looking for his presence. So we're looking for him in terms of Haman and Achashverish and the politics and the, the whole Misa. So the Rabbani Shalom reveals himself in Purim. It's Gavadik. But Shushan Purim means the celebration. What, 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 are, what are the Mukafim Chaimah? What are the walled cities celebrating? The walled cities are certainly celebrating Purim 100%. But part of what they're celebrating is that what? Is that Mashiach didn't come from Purim. That Purim was just half of the story. And that's Gavadik. Because it means that not only when Mashiach comes are we going to get the answers to our questions like Purim. But we're going to get answers to questions that we ourselves don't even know to ask yet. That's what we're celebrating on Purim. We're celebrating the fact that that Purim happened, it's Gavaldic, but we're celebrating also that that's not a Gula Shleima. We're celebrating that it's Misidja Dunukva, but we're, but, that, but we're also celebrating the fact that there's another half of Gula that's waiting for us. <clears throat> this is why Davka, Davka Shushan Purim, Davka Shushan Purim, which is on the 15th day, that's what Mikavachim, a walled city means. A walled city means a Jew that's strong to be able to, to tolerate exile until the Geula Shlema. I mean, you have some Yidin, you know, you have some Yidin which can be compared to an open city. What's an open city? An open city is susceptible to attack. So you have some Yidin, if they're susceptible to attack, they're very weak. They don't have Torah and mitzvahs, you know, they don't have Torah and tefillah and mitzvahs and so on. So they're looking for the first sign of Geula and like, okay, let's just get out of here already. Because they don't because they're not strong enough to be able to have the patience to wait for the Gula Shleim. A walled city type of Yid means that I celebrate a Gula that's Misidja Danukva. I celebrate when the Rabbani Shalom answers my questions, but I'm strong enough and I have the patience to be able to wait for the full Gula, which is the Rabbani Shalom answering questions that I myself am not asking. And so Shushan Purim is a celebration, not just of Purim, it's a celebration of the Jewish people's resolve to, to realize and to accept that Purim is not a ghoulish line. Therefore, Yud Dalit Adar, the first day of Purim, in Shushan, they weren't even celebrating, they were still fighting. It's a pella. It's not like they just had a second day Yontif. It's not a second day Yontif. The first day of Yontif was Bechlal, not a Yontif to them. Because Shushan Purim is, again, this is the Nakuda. It's celebrating, these are the two sides of Purim. If Purim is a redemption of, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a Ha'ara, it's, a, it's, a, it's an aspect of Gula, but it's only an aspect of Gula, which is, again, an answer to the questions that we're asking. And, and therefore, part of our celebration of Purim is thank you, Rabbi Shalom, for answering our questions, but also thank you for telling us that this is not the end. Because if this would be the end, it means that all you're going to tell us are the answers to our questions. And so thank you for answering our questions, but thank you for promising us that we're still, in the, that we're still under Achashverosh. Because by telling us, by making it clear that even after Purim you're still under Achashverosh, it means that this was not the Gula. Why? What's missing? What's missing is the Rabbani Shalom has much more in store for us. The Rabbani Shalom has, more, has, has much more to say than just the questions that we're asking. That's what Purim is. So let's go back. I mean, this, this, so we started with a, with, a, with a number of questions. This is, by the way, why Shushan Purim is trying to give cover to Yerushalayim. Why? Because that's what Shushan Purim is about. Shushan Purim is, is, is celebrating Purim, not just for the Yantav of Purim itself, for what happened there, but it's celebrating the fact that this is only half of what is then going to be completed with the coming of Mashiach, that Yerushalayim, it's giving cover to Yerushalayim. It's saying that, that Yerushalayim, which means Mashiach Tzedkenu, has much more to, to offer us than we could possibly ever imagine. And this is why it's specifically from the times of Yeshua ben Nun. Because Yeshua ben Nun, Yerushalayim was not, was, not built, it was not controlled by Eden yet. And that's good for the point. It's celebrating the fact that we're, st- that we're still in Golis. This is the Pell of Purim, that we're celebrating the events of Purim, but we're also celebrating the fact that it wasn't complete, that it wasn't a Gula Shlema. If the Gula Shlema would have happened in a Purim Dika way, then again, it would be limited. It would only be answering, it would be revealing Hashem's hand in the areas that we're looking for His hand. But that's what cele- our par- part of our celebrating Purim is to celebrate the fact that it's not complete. Is that the Rabbani Shalom has much, much more of a hand in things that we're not even, that we're not even looking for. That's why Yeshua Benun, by the way, Yeshua Benun is, is, is feminine on the one hand. He, only, he just had daughters. So Shushan Purim, that's what Shushan Purim is. It's celebrating, it's giving cover to Yerushalayim and saying that Yerushalayim, 
there's only half of Yerushalayim that we have over here. There's only half of it. It's Misitra Danukva. It's the feminine side of Yerushalaym, not the full thing. The, the Tzad Zohar Shabbai, the masculine side of Gula, we, we have not experienced yet. And that's what we're celebrating is the fact that it still has yet to come. There's still much more to offer besides Purim. This is also why these two sides of Chai Vinish Purya. Why is Purim Adlayada? What's not known about Purim? Purim makes a lot of sense. The, every step along the way makes perfect sense. This is exact, but, but again, the answer is woven into Purim are these two sides. Woven into Purim is the one hand celebrating the unbelievable clarity that the Jewish people experienced on Purim. We, we, had, we, had clear, uh, uh, we had clarity in terms of the questions we were asking. But part of the celebration of Purim is, thank you, thank you Hashem, for what? For making Purim not the final ghoul. Because it means that not only are we going to get answers to the questions that we're asking, it means that we're going to, when Mashiach eventually does come, we're going to get answers to questions that we're not even asking, we don't even know to ask. That's Adloyada. These are the two, the two schools I mentioned before, the two schools of Adloyada. The Kipshutai, not Kipshutai. They're coming from these two sides of Purim. There's a side of Purim which is about understanding. The Rabbanu Shalom revealing how he's in control, how everything makes sense. But then there's another side of Purim, which is, and all of these things that I'm revealing to you that make sense, this is half the story. There's a whole other side of things that you have no hasaga about at all. These are the two sides of Purim. This is also why the meaning of wearing clothing. The wearing, wearing costumes means to conceal yourself. It's a funny thing. Purim is about revelation. Purim is about everything made sense. It was re- Hashem's hand was revealed. Even in nature, it was revealed. Why are you hiding? Why are you, why are you concealing who you are? You should reveal who you are in Purim. The answer is no, no. That's half of Purim. Part of the celebration of Purim is, again, is part of the celebration is that this was not a ghoulish life. And we're celebrating. And what does that tell us about the ghoulish life? It tells us about the ghoulish life is that we have no even a sug of what it is that we're... We have no idea of what's coming for us. We have no, we have no idea what type of revelations we're going to experience. And that's the, the clothing, the costumes that we're wearing. Is that we don't even know who we are. We don't even know what we're asking. We, don't even, we, we have no hasag of anything. It's mamash adlayada. Therefore, the minigiz dafka, there was such a thing the Ramah brought down, of men wearing feminine clothing. Because the whole site of Purim is what? It's misitra danukva. It's a feminine yontif. It's a feminine yontif. But it needs to be partnered with this masculine side with the coming of Mashiach. So you have men wearing big daisha. It's part of the yichud. It's a tefillah in and of itself. You're davening, when you do such a thing, you're davening, the Rabbanu Shalom, that just as you answer the questions that we asked by Purim, you should answer much more questions that we're not even asking. Let's go back to the Suda. This is why the Rashash held that the Suda should be close to Shachras. And by the Chassidim and so on, Mamash the opposite. Why? Okay, this is... I, I, it's already late, and I have Rahmanis on you guys. So just <laughs> one, the, the entire Indian, the Rizal and the Rashash, one of their, their one, his main sheet in life, and what his contribution to Panimia Satara was to explain how is it that what, it, what is it that you're doing when you say Baruch Shamr? That, that, that's what the Arizal and the Rashash came to explain. Like, you have no, that, that when you say Baruch Shamra, your mom is building Eilamas. But when you're a Pasha the Yid and you're a little kid and you say Baruch Shamra, I don't know, I'm just saying Baruch Shamra because my father, my Rebbe says to say Baruch Shamra, so I say it. The Rizal and the Rishash come to say, no, 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 let me explain, let me show you what you're doing when you say Baruch Shamra. So the Rishash, the Rishash is connected deeply to the side of Gula, which is Misidja Danuk for the feminine side. It's having qu- answers to questions that you have, to, ex- to explain what you're doing. I want to know what I'm doing. The Rashash comes to explain how we are building castles in heaven. How we're building castles in heaven. Baruch Shalmar, and you say, Asher, Yishtabach, this is what you're doing. You should know what you're doing. You should appreciate what you're doing. Therefore, the Rashash, in terms of Perm, is also very much connected to the side of Perm, which is the, 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 the ghoul of Perm itself, that half of the coin, which is a redemption that to explain to you what, what, what to answer the, the, the answers that, 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 that are coming to you who are asking, asking a question. The Rashash, therefore, was the one he also held that when a person drinks, you shouldn't drink too much. Just drink a little bit more than you have, but you should have das. You should have das. And therefore, he held that the Suda should be in proximity to Shachras. Why? By Shachras, that's when you read the Megillah. That's when the answers of Purim are obvious. That's when it's very strong, the revelation of what Purim is, the, 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 the clarity of Hashem's presence in the story 
That's what the Megillah is celebrating. So there, right then and there, you have the Suda, because what are you Iker celebrating in the Rosh Hashanah's way of looking at, at life? You're celebrating the fact that the Rabbanu Shalom gave you answers to your questions. But that's all, that's all one side of Gula. That's Misitra that's the feminine side. The Balshantav came, and the Iker Torah of the Balshantav is what? It's focused on Misitra Dukhur, on the masculine side of things. The Balshantav was not into Kavanas. The Balshantav was not into saying Baruch Shamar and having in mind what you're accomplishing in heaven. The Baal Shem Tov and all of his Talmidim pushed the, the, to say Baruch Shamar like a push of the year, like a kid. Don't even think, you have no, you have no asag of what you're building. Don't try to, don't be, because this is the Nakuda. When you're saying Baruch Shamar, yes, there's a side of what you're accomplishing which you can explain, and that's what Rosh Hashanah is focused on. That's the feminine side of the Geula of Baruch Shamar, so to speak. But then there's the Balshanta side of it, which is that, by the way, what you're building with Baruch Shomer is way beyond anything you could possibly conceive. So don't even, so just say like a Pashariyid. These are the two sides of Gula. So, and therefore, by the Balshanta of Adaraba, make the Suda far away from the Megillah. Because the Megillah is answering questions. And what, really what you should be celebrating on Purim is the fact that Mashiach hasn't come yet. Which means that if, if, if Mashiach would have been exclusively answering your own personal questions, Mashiach would have come by Purim already. But if Mashiach didn't come on Purim, it means that Mashiach is so much bigger than just answering questions that you're having. It's way beyond that. So have the Suda ready close to night. Nighttime means darkness. Nighttime means not understanding. Have the Suda there. Have the Suda there. This is also the difference between Yosef and Yehuda, I think this is, uh, maybe some of you already pick, pick up on this already. It's Meshach and Yosef and Meshach and David. That's why in the whole story you have this all this dynamic of Mordechai is being Ishihudi, Ishimini. He's from Yosef, he's from, uh, he's from Binyamin, which is Rachel. He's coming from Yehuda. Which one is he? Yeah. Meshach and Yosef means answering my questions. Answer my questions. Meshach and David means I have no hasag of what pot... There's so much more than just I could possibly even ask. These are the two sides of what's going on over here, you know. So the, when, when you have a year like this, so let, let's 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 wrap it up in a very positive way. A year like this, where the where the hanhag is going to be somewhere, bringing the two together. You start the suit early and you continue. It means that a year like this is shining with an unbelievable potential to be miyachet to bring together these two sides of misidur denukva and misidur dechura. It means, that to, to, it means that the Rabbani Shloylam, we should realize that every single thing that we do, every mitzvah that we do, every single effort that we put in, every experience that we have, we have to ask the Rabbani Shloylam to show us, to explain to us what, what it means, what's the depth behind it, what are we accomplishing, what are we a part of, unbelievable. But mitzvah shen, we also have to remember that by me asking those questions, the Rabbani Shloylam, by me putting in that effort, he's going to show me things that I'm not even asking myself. It's bringing together these two worlds of Mashiach and Mashiach and David. I pay the dollar, and I get $100 million back, and I feel connected to every single penny of it. That's what's going on. That's what's going to be this perm. Hashem should we should be zochah, that this perm, we should haka see a gula shleim, it should be a complete gula. That we should celebrate what? And again, that's the celebration of perm. Rabbi Shalom, thank you so much for giving, us some, for giving us clarity, but thank you for also promising us that there's so much more that you have in store for us, so much more clarity that we, could not, that we ourselves are not even, not even thinking of. And a year like this, we should be zechah to bring the two together, we should talk of zechah to see the Rabbani Shalom answering all the questions we have, and all the questions we don't even know we should be asking. And we should talk of zechah to feel that hiskash, to feel that closeness, to feel that devotion. Amen. Amen. All right.